In 1971, I started school, or thereabouts. Uh, I mean, somewhere around there. So, and, you know, uh, early 70s, maybe. Uh, but I, I started school then and, uh, and, and uh, went to elementary school and, and then went to, uh, uh, what's after elementary school? Uh, middle school, junior high, you know. Uh, and then uh, after uh, junior high, went to uh, high school. Got to high school. They let me out of high school even. And got through high school and went straight to uh, college. And uh, went to college and, and started uh, college and, and continued in college and continued in college and continued in college and continued in college. And uh, in 1991, I think I graduated from college and uh, then started uh, started my master's degree. Started my master's degree. Immediately, immediately after getting my, my uh, uh, college degree, my bachelor's degree, started uh, with my master's degree. Went through my master's degree and, and got my master's degree and then Immediately following getting my master's degree, I started my, my piled higher and deeper degree and uh, started my Ph.D., got my Ph.D., and, and took a full seven years to get my Ph.D. Long story short, and of course that's a little bit long, there's nothing short about that story, but uh, from 71, 72 until 2001, I was in school with, without, without any breaks other than a summer break. And, and didn't have a lot of summer breaks in there when I started school because I was working, too, and uh, when I started college. Well, I say that bad because uh, my parents paid for a certain period of time in college, but after I hit that period of time, they said they're not paying anymore. I can't blame them. Six and a half years is a long time pay for college. Some of y'all might not think so. I, I got two in college right now. It's killing me. Just, wow. You know, can y'all speed it up a little bit and get out? Um, <laughs> But uh, over the course of my education, and I'm you know, a big fan, uh, those 30 years of going to school, uh, I, I, I realized that there are certain courses that were not in my sweet spot. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, when I was in uh, high school, one of, the, one of those courses was chemistry. And chemistry's not my sweet spot. I, I enjoyed chemistry. I enjoyed looking at that, that big uh, thing that had a bunch of letters on it. That's cool. Yeah, uh, F-E equals iron. Am I right? F-E is iron, right? Cool, yeah. N-A-C-L. That's, that's, like, that's like salt, right? H-2-O. Yeah. All right. See, I got it down. That's all I remember. Anyway, beryllium. I just like saying beryllium. Isn't that B-E or is that B-Y? B-R. B-R-O-W-N. What's that? brown. Anyway, so chemistry wasn't one of my, and, and had the, the chemistry lab and they said, please, Eric, uh, be a silent lab partner. You know, just, just take notes. Don't do anything. Cause I was dangerous. So anyway, got through, got through high school, got out of chemistry and, and, uh, and, and started my freshman year. And my freshman year, uh, was, uh, 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 a, uh, math class. And, um, and when I started that math class, um, I, I had done so well in math leading up to that. When I started, my, I was an accounting major. 
um, when I started, uh, business statistics was the course that I was taking. And, uh, and so that was, that was great. I realized very quickly, however, business statistics was not my sweet spot. In fact, no math really has ever been my sweet spot. I mean, I work real hard, and, and that's how I got through like calculus and, and all those, uh, those courses leading up to, to statistics. The way I got through it is, man, I just, I'd grind through it. I mean, I'd just sit there, and I'd, and I'd work and work and work and work and memorize, 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 memorize until finally I got, I, I got the grade. And, and, and so when I entered statistics, um, I, I, I quickly realized that I was going to need to spend a lot of extra time trying to grind this out because it was just a lot more difficult. And being an accounting major, you would think that math would be a sweet spot. Wouldn't you? You would think that. But it wasn't. And I really, see, what made uh, accounting such a sweet spot for me, what made that degree program it, it attractive to me is I love symmetry. And really, accounting... Uh, you might think it's all about, it's really not, it's about symmetry. It, it's about debits equal credits. It's about symmetry. And I just loved, loved, loved the symmetry of accounting. Isn't that right? I mean, it, it, it's all about balancing. It's all about balancing. And that, now, anyway, so uh, when I, that, that's, a, so I'm freshman year statistics. My professor, about midway through the first semester, she calls me in. Now, this professor was so sweet. I mean, really, just precious, precious, kind and gentle as far as I knew. And, and she was just, uh, you know, Mr. Thomas, come in, sit down. And she called me Mr. Thomas. Is that not cool? <laughs> Mr. Thomas, come in. Yes, ma'am, I'll come in. And I thought, wow, personal attention. This is a great university. And, uh, and she sits down and she opens a folder. And that folder is a little intimidating. That folder is my life. In her hands. I mean, that's, that's everything she knows about me, that folder. That's everything she knows about me. She opens it up, she looks at it, and she says, Mr. Thomas, um, I brought you here because I have a suggestion. <laughs> Didn't know if she wanted to be her uh, grader or what. You know, I, no, when they, when they call you in, and I'm, I'm smart enough, I have a suggestion. You know what that meant. I'm in trouble. She said, I have a suggestion. I said, yes, ma'am, tell me what your suggestion is. She said, you can do one of two th things for the rest of this course. I said, yes, ma'am, tell me what those are. She said, first, and this is what I would recommend. First, and this is what I would recommend. She said it two or three times. First, and this is what I would recommend. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you need to drop the course. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, no. See, what you might not know about my personality is I am like, I am going to hold on, right? I mean, and, and my personality is such, if I begin dinner and I'm sitting at the table and I'm eating dinner and a fire breaks out and, and the, the beams are falling down around my head, ash is burning my bald spot and, and, and the house is coming down in flames, I'm not moving until I finish that dinner. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. I would be the captain that sinks with the ship, not because of loyalty, but because, my goodness, I can turn this thing around before it's all said and done, right? Uh, I, I'm that kind of guy. I, I, that's, that's the way I am. So when she said, I want you to drop the class, I said, I don't think so. I, I don't think I can do that. She, she asked, well, you're you afraid your parents would be upset? I thought, my parents don't even know I'm taking statistics. What do you mean they'd be upset? 
No, I, I, just, I, I just can't do that. And she said, well, if you don't feel like you can drop the class, then the second recommendation, and this I cannot stress enough, is for you to get a tutor. And I said, a what? I knew what it was. I just, I didn't, I, a tutor? Really? Me? A tutor? Right, now, I, I, and I told her, I said, now, I, Miss Abernathy, I just don't think I need a tutor. I'm sorry, I've never had a tutor before. I don't, I don't like the idea of having a tutor. Now, Miss, Miss Abernathy, I, let me tell you how I've done math up to this point. The way I've done math up to this point is I will study harder and I will work more diligently and I will grind it out and I will get through this class. And she put both her hands on top of my folder and she folded one on top of the other. And she said, Mr. Thomas, she said, what you've said may be true. But for you, um, the best you can hope for in grinding it out is a C. But if you want to move from a C-level work to an A-level work, you need a tutor. And I said, okay, thank you. I didn't follow her advice <laughs> on either course, either count. Uh, but you know, one of the principles that she gave me has stuck with me. I can't remember anything about business statistics, Z curves and T curves and all that. I don't remember anything about that, but here's what I do remember. Many of us are stuck at a C-level living. But to get from C-level living to A-level life, we need help. And we can't do it alone. And some of us are here and we've been stuck in a C-level living and it's time for us to move out of C-level living to an A-level life. And that's what Jesus has come to do. Jesus, in this Red Letter series, has been teaching us and helping us move from C-level living to an A-level life. Today, he meets with a young man, I call him a young man, a scribe, uh, an attorney type person and he meets with the scribe and, and, uh, and, and uh, we just need to stop for a second. The Kaplers are here. TJ and Dan Kapler, what's up? Oh! Our friends, our friends from, uh, from other parts of the world and have come back home. Yay! I didn't know y'all were here today. Okay. They moved from sea level living to A-level life. I mean, they, they've done that. Anyway, so good to have y'all. I'm so excited. Uh, so Jesus has this scribe, this, this attorney-type person that comes in, and, uh, and, and he, uh, he, he recognized that Jesus has some good answers to his peers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. And, and, and so in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, the, the scribe comes up and says, Jesus, I, I perceive that you have answered these questions well, but I've got a question for you. And, and it was a sincere question. You see, the rest of the guys, the last couple of weeks, we've seen these religious leaders, and they've been trying to trip up Jesus or trap him and 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 but this guy he had an honest question he needed some help he was trying to discover how to move from a C level uh, lifestyle to an A level life 
And so he asked Jesus, what is the greatest of all commandments? What's the first commandment of all? Now, when you look at the first commandment of all, that, that term first, and I think it's in verse 28, um, when he said, what is the first commandment, verse 28, underline first, because first there is a term, and when we think first, we think chronology, we think one, two, three, um, but first in the Greek language, that, that word, it means highest priority, most important, greatest. So the, the scribe would say, what's the most important thing of all? What's the first priority? And Jesus began to answer him. Now, Jesus gives an answer to that question, but he gives an answer to us today. He's teaching us a better way of living. As he, as he begins to uh, answer the question, he says, uh, the greatest of all commandments, or the first of all commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second likened to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, there is no greater commandment than these. Verse 32, so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth. For there is one God, there's no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength. And to love one neighbor as, as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, what, what's, what's the scribe saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, I, the scribe was saying, I know about burnt offerings and sacrifices. He said, I know how to do that, but, but I need something more than that. And see, if I could just humbly suggest today, you're here, and you being here is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You being here says that, that, that you appreciate burnt offerings and sacrifice, because that's religious duty. And so you being here, that's, that's positive. That's not, it's not wrong, it's right. It's not bad, it's good. But if all you have, is this if all you have is the 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 practice of a religion if all you have is just this ritual that you're going through the motions or or even the duties that you're fulfilling that's just burnt offering and sacrifice and, and like the scribe we need more than that see a sea level life is what many people do every single week when they get here they show up, go through the motions, leave, and there is no change whatsoever. Burn offerings and sacrifices. But today, Jesus wants to teach us a better way that moves us beyond the religious rituals, traditions, and, and, and things that, uh, duties that, we, that we're going through to, to give us a taste of the extraordinary, to give us a sampling uh, and a savor of heaven itself. Look, look at verse 34. Jesus said, oh, brother, you are close to heaven. You're about to taste it. And, and, and you are as well. Today, let's move from a C-level lifestyle to an A-level life. One that, one that satisfies, one that, one that creeps down to the very core of your being and erupts this joy, this, this effusive celebration, dancing of the soul. That's what we need every day, not this mundane humdrum, hmm. 
How do we get there? That's what Jesus is talking about. All right, so how do we get there? He's going to teach us a better way to live, and it comes down to this great commandment. By the way, this is one commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not two commandments, that's one. Look at the very last phrase. He says, there, are no greater command, there is no greater commandment, singular, than these, plural. What's he saying? He's saying, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the same commandment. You can't have one without the other. You can't divorce one from the other. They go hand in glove. We'll look at that in a second. So Jesus teaches a better way to live, and he begins by, by, by pointing us to who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. And what he's saying to us today is first, we've got to, we've got to align ourselves, get in line with who God is. Part of our problem, and, and this is part of our problem, yours and mine, part of our problem is, is that we want God to get in line with who we are. We want him to adjust to us rather than us adjust to him. And so in, 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 in response to the way humanity is, uh, God gave from the very beginning of his people's journey in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gave this thing called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema. And it's very familiar to the Jewish people. It's very familiar uh, to the scribe. It was very familiar to, to, to the hearers of Jesus in that moment because they had heard it since they were little children. They had heard it in their home. They had heard it in the synagogue. They had heard it in the temple. This was something that was familiar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what does it mean? It means that God is God and you are not. I mean, that's what it means. It means that God is God and he demands, deserves nothing less than your absolute honor, respect, devotion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It means that God is the creator of all things with a whisper and a breath. He made the heavens and the earth. This is the God who from the very beginning of time had a purposeful plan that would lead Abram out of uh, the land of his father's to a place that God would show him that, that would uh, bring uh, uh, Joseph out of a pit and, and, and through a prison so he'd become part of a palace so that his, God's plan and purpose would be fulfilled. So that, so that Moses, who was, was, was there in, in, in the palace of, of a king and a pharaoh uh, who uh, was then running from a past that he could not really escape, uh, on the backside of a wilderness, God began to speak to a bush and, that was burning and wasn't consumed. And, and, and God told Moses, I am who I am. I am God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he said, hey, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of bondage in Egypt. And, and Moses began that journey of leading the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And, and, and as he stood above the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was hot on his heels and the Red Sea was at the front, he could hear God say, I am God. And, and, and Moses lifted up his staff and God parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as God led the children of Israel through the wilderness wanderings, and, and as he gave them manna from heaven and water from a rock, as he burned his will into stone, looking forward to that day when he would burn his will into the hearts of his people, uh, the children of Israel could hear God say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. At the, just the right time when God led the children of Israel across into the promised land, across the Jordan River, as Joshua led that team, a, a new generation ready to, to fight the battles, God uh, led them around the, the city and the walls of Jericho. And I can hear them singing and shouting as they play in their instruments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the walls came tumbling down. As God called a little shepherd boy named David out of Bethlehem in Judea and led him to fight this giant called Goliath. And as he picked up uh, five smooth stones and with one of those stones slew the warrior that was the, the great victor of the Philistines and killed him dead, I can hear the army saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And with each king that was faithful to God and with each prophet that was prophesying for God and with each movement where God brought fire from, a, from heaven or, 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 or fed uh, people with birds from the sky, we see that God was being faithful to who he was and showing them that he is God. And then came that special moment when he sent an angel to talk to a little young lady named Mary. And he said, you're going to have a baby and that baby is going to be Emmanuel, the rescuer. And God himself took on flesh and bone and dwelt among us and he became a man. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus was born shrinking his deity into the skin of humanity and walking in the sandals of a servant. And Jesus lived his life for purpose. And that was the glory of God to show the world who God is and what love really looks like. And Jesus, with his very life, was declaring, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. And as he hung upon a cross and as he lived to love his enemies to his death. Jesus was declaring, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment when he was taking the sin of sinners, the guilt of our sin upon himself, as he was taking the very judgment that my sin demanded and deserved upon himself. When Jesus was dying and I was on his heart, he was declaring, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when he breathed his last and was buried in a tomb, so that he might bring forgiveness to sinners like you and me. He was showing us who God is. And three days later, when God changed everything, and he rolled away a stone and he called forth his son, and Jesus rose in victory over death, hell, and the grave, uh, defeating Satan and all of Satan's horde in that moment. Uh, when, when, when the victory belongs to Jesus and he offers that victory to us today, we hear him crying, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And based upon who God is. How is my life different? Can I ask you a question? Are you waiting for God to get in line with your plan? Or have you gotten in line with who God is and adjusted to His plan? If we're going to move from C-level living to an A-level life, we have to get in line with who God is. Stop playing the game that you're the most important person in the universe. It's the bed baby syndrome. It's the bed babies. You know the bed babies, the, the, the infants, the newborns. They lie in the bed, they cry for food, and they cry when they're wet, and they cry when they're not, and all that other stuff. And, uh, they cry when they're lonely, they cry when they're cold, they cry, and they expect the whole world to come and answer their cry. And they're not interested in what you've got going on. They're not interested that your soap opera's on. That was a joke. They're not interested, they're not interested in how much sleep you got last night. They're not interested in, in, in how much sleep you've gotten this week. They're not interested in that. They're just crying. And they expect you to run and meet their every need. And I mean, that's okay for an infant, but guys, we're grown-ups. And we're treating like God like He's supposed to be doing this very thing with us. We've got this infant syndrome where we believe, this bed baby syndrome, where we believe that the world revolves around us. That we are the sun and the universe circles our orbit. That's a sea level life. But when we begin to understand that God is God and that He is the center of the universe. And we begin to understand that it's not all about me, but it's all about Him. And we start moving forward and tasting the extraordinary. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then Jesus moved on to the commandment. And uh, the commandment part A is, uh, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I, I guess it really comes down to this. We need to love God first and most tried to figure out how to say this. And, and I really don't want to have to explain it, but, but I, I wanted to paint a picture of it. If we're going to move from a, uh, from a C-level living to an A-level life, we're going to taste the extraordinary. If we're going to experience life as God intended, then we need to love God first and most. And most of us who have gathered here, we would say, yeah, I love God. Yeah, I love God. Yeah. We would say it with our words, that's really not the question. The question is, are you living it with your life? I love my girls. Four daughters, love them. Love them to death. Just love them. I wonder how they would describe my love. If I took every opportunity I could to stand publicly and say, I love my daughters. I love them. And if every day I would text them little love notes. Oh, girls, I love you with all these emojis on there with, a, you know, hearts and, and 
you know, all the, all the emojis and text all that. I, t- I send them two or three texts a day. Oh, I love you. I, I do a Snapchat every day. So I do a Snapchat every day. Put on Instagram, find a cute little picture and, uh, of my girls and, and put it on Instagram and say, I love you, I love you. Facebook, my girls. And I spell it weird on Facebook, M-A-H-G-U-R-L-Z. Yes, I know how to spell. Remember, I had 30 years of education, but I just think it needs to have a little difference to it. So, my girls. I love you. So they have all these different I love yous for me. All these different places and, and, and notes and, 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 and Snapchats and Instagrams and Twitters and tweets and Facebook. And I, I send them all these messages. I love you. Isn't that great? That's good. That's not bad. That's good. But I wonder what they would think. How they would describe my love if all they ever got from me were the words. They call me up and say, hey, Dad, can you come hang out with me for a little while? No, baby, I really don't want to do that. Hey, Dad, can we go see a movie this Friday night? No, I, I'm too tired. I'm really not interested in doing that. Hey, Dad, I'd really like for you to take me shopping No. And every request, every opportunity for me to spend time with them was met with, I'm not interested. I don't come home and eat with them. I don't kiss them goodnight. I don't wake up and kiss them good morning. I don't ever see them. I don't spend time with them. They get all these words from me, but they get no action. All talk, no walk. All words, no show. When I was growing up in Texas, they'd say that's all hat and no cattle. <laughs> Obviously, my girls would not be able to describe my love as very faithful or true. Oh, Eric, yeah, Dad, he says a lot. He doesn't do a lot. Now, I know I'm busy and all that kind of stuff. Isn't there, isn't everybody? Everybody's busy. But I wonder, I wonder if in our, in our relationship with God, we're all talk and no walk. We'll come in here and we'll say, I love you, God. Yeah, we'll write it in our journal. I love God. But when given the opportunity, which is every day, to adjust our life to fit his will, we say, nope. When given the opportunity to honor him by taking the time just to spend time with him, we say, Nope. 
Are we really loving God first and most? See, I can't make that decision for you. I can't even determine it for you, but I can't ask the question that's been burning in my heart this week. Am I loving God with all that I am? Am I loving Him first? Am I loving Him most? Am I sacrificing what I perceive to be something that I want in order simply just to please Him? Is He the center? And I travel around His orbit. Am I adjusting my life to fit him? Guys, here's the deal. If you're going to taste life as God intended, you have to love him first and most. Many of y'all, we've been friends for 10 years. And you know my passions. And you know my, my, my joys. But you know what? If my passion for God does not ooze out of every core of my being every day for everyone to see and to know, then I have failed in loving God first and most. I don't worry too much about being weird. I mean, everybody kind of thinks I'm weird and I have always thought I'm a little weird. But I don't want to be weird just for weirdness sake. If I'm going to be goofy, I want to be goofy for God to show him how much I love him. So that other people look at me and say, weirdo freak. I'm like, absolutely. Because I love God more than I love anything else. What about you? We have to get in line with who God is. We've got to love God first and most. And then the second part of it is to love God means that we're going to love others. Simple. Remember, Jesus didn't give two commands. He gave one command. There is no greater commandment than these. Love God, love others. One commandment. In fact, the way Jesus constructs it is, if you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that means you are going to love others. Can, can everybody listen? And I, I, I just, just right here, this moment. Just, if you get nothing else, get this. The way we love others is a direct reflection on how well or how poorly we love God. I'm say it again, I want you to get it. The way we love others is a direct reflection of how well or how poorly we love God. In the margin next to verse 31, you might put down First um, John chapter 2. And you could, just the whole chapter will help you see that this is what it's talking about. But in First John chapter 2 verse 6, John writes, he says, uh, he says, you know, we have been 
we have been purchased by God's love through a sacrificial death of Christ. And so in verse 6 he says, we ought to make sure that the way we live matches the way he lived. Because we're Christ's followers, the way we live our lives should match the way Jesus lived his life. That's verse 6. Verse 9 of chapter 2, John writes that if you say you hate your brother, or if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, then you're not in light. You're not, you're not living in light. You're living in darkness. Verse 10, but if you love your brother, then the light is dwelling in you. You're shining bright. Put all that together, comes down to what John is saying is simply this. If you treat people like dirt, you're not loving God. No matter how religious you are, no matter how respectable you might appear to be, if you treat people with disrespect, you demean them, you talk them down, you, you, you act like they're, they're, they're not worthy of your attention or time, you treat people like dirt, you want to know what that means? It means that you don't love God very much. That's it. Now, you might not want to embrace that, but that's truth. See, what we do in the church is we, we play this game where we can treat people like dirt and, and turn around and act like we're, it's okay for us to do that because we've been in the church for a while and we got, we're all respectable and blah, 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 puke. If we're, if we're, going, to, if we're going to say we're loving God, then that means we're going to love others the way he has loved us. And if we don't love others the way he's loved us, don't say you're loving God. Because you're not. Again, we don't like to talk about this one because when we talk about this one, it means that we have to actually adjust, not some, not some relationship that we have in heaven. We have to adjust, Jeff, we have to adjust how we relate to one another here. It means I can't call you a, I can't call you that anymore. Hey, pound, right? It means I can't treat you like you're a, a dog. It means I can't talk bad about you anymore. I can't gossip about you anymore. I can't do that if I'm going to love God. Now, some of us, some of us need an absolute transformation where we're no longer playing this religious game and acting like we're all spiritual. I love God! And we treat people like dog dirt. Here's how we move from a C-level relationship to an A-level relationship. We love people the way God has loved us. We see how our love for God is directly reflecting in our love for others. We're not playing this little silly church game where we can treat people poorly and think it's all right. It's not all right. Today, it's got to change. Unless you want to stay in the mundane. That borders on miserable. 
Jesus is our tutor today. And he'll help us. But we have to embrace our first priority. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second liken to it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Get in line with who God is. Love God first and most. And to love God means that we must love others. Let's do it.